0: Good news is your dates are here.
1: What's the bad news? They're dead. Ah. See, a United States Astro robot becomes a creature of death. And oh. they. We have come here to this planet for one purpose only: to. We require breeding stuff to repopulate our planet. Welcome to Bots, Bugs, and Babes, the B movie podcast from Class to the Cults so of the Cheese in between. The movies you're a B of the Entertainment is grade A. And I'm your host, Mr. Jason Giaconetti. And this time out, I'm joined by my friend, Mr. John LeMay. John, welcome.
0: Hey, Jason. I'm always glad to be back
1: on Bots, Bugs, and Babes. Oh, yeah. We love having you. And today, folks, we're going to talk about Jaws the Revenge. And we'll get to it right after this. Instinctively, man has always been drawn to the sea. Its beauty, its mystery, its secrets. But there is also a vague uncertainty, a sense of intrusion into an alien world where man is unwelcome and completely at the mercy of the most terrifying predator on Earth. Man's deepest
0: fear has risen again. Jaws The Revenge. This time, it's personal.
1: Jaws The Revenge was released July 17th, 1987 with a 90-minute running time. Your director is joseph Sargent now Joseph Sargent, uh as a director, he actually was an actor as well. um He passed away in 2014. He's actually known uh for and I'm trying to think but you know, people uh fans of this show have heard my dad and I mention the movie Nightmares, which is actually the remaining episodes of Dark Room that were all rolled into a movie. He directed that He actually won the Brussels International Fantastic Film Festival uh uh award for that um he also is actually known for the taking of Pelham one two three which uh for those of us uh well i mean i obviously I love the original, but those of us who live in New York kind of know about uh what like those some of those things uh hit on different things movies dad and I talk about all the time movies that hit differently in different parts of the country, especially movies that take place in the city and stuff like that uh and that's one of those he's um you know he was known for uh many different films throughout uh, time. He actually was a uh, producer on some of them as well, um, including uh, up until uh, like the Salem witch trials in 2001. And uh, you know, in movies through the nineties stuff. war, of the worlds war, world war two, when lions roar, which he was nominated for a director's guild of America award for uh, outstanding directing in miniseries or TV film. And uh, he actually, so, so he's actually, also known for doing a lot of episodes of like Lassie, the invaders, the man from uncle, even some star Trek and some Gunsmoke in there. Um, so that's one of those things that as you look at, uh, you know, someone's career, you know, sometimes people get very hung up on like, well, they didn't make only Hollywood movies. If you know, directors, if you're working, you're making money. And if you're directing a TV movie or a TV series or whatever it might be, uh, you know, it, if you were working consistently, I don't know how uh important it was that you had to make sure you were only making like Hollywood pictures. I know some people look at it that way, but uh, we kind of know that you know if you're working consistently, that's more important than whether you're making only blockbusters and or you know major Hollywood pictures so um and Joseph Sargent think we mentioned did pass away in 2014. Uh, your writer here, the writing credit goes to Michael DeGuzman, obviously based on Peter Benchley's original book and characters. Um, and, uh, I think we can honestly say, uh, when we start talking about, uh, uh, Jaws, the revenge, uh, I don't think Peter Benchley ever envisioned some of the stuff that occurs in this movie when he was writing Jaws. You no, know?
0: absolutely not.
1: Uh-uh. <laughs> uh, you know, so. Um, and, uh, Joseph Sargent actually serves as producer here too, uh, on this film. Okay. So your main star is Lorraine gray, uh, or Lorraine, uh, uh Gary, excuse me, not gray, Lorraine Gary. And, uh, we obviously, uh, she's Ellen Brody, which is what she's most, uh, probably famous for being remembered at. um, she actually was in the movie 1941. She was in car wash, but she actually, uh, only acted pretty much from like, late sixties, I want to say 67 up to like 79 ish. And then came out of retirement to make, uh, uh this movie, uh, which is kind of crazy. Um, because like, that's a, I mean, taking eight years off, but she was very busy. Um, obviously she had, uh, other things were going on. She was a, a member of the human rights, watch, uh, human rights, watch women's rights advisory committee, um, she actually did a lot of other stuff going on. She was married to, uh, Sidney Shelberg for years. Um, and then, like I said, she, she made those films and she did some TV. She was on Dragnet and the Virginian and Ironside and stuff like that. An episode of night gallery. Uh, but the thing was, you know, she kind of retired in 1977 and came back to make this, which is why people had, when this movie came out, people were like, oh, she's still around because she wasn't in the public eye in the idea of being an actress anymore really in the 80s especially since we had Jaws 3 because when what is Jaws Jaws 2 is what Jaws 2 is um i trying to remember when Jaws 2 was Jaws 2 was what nineteen seventy eight ish, right? I think
0: that's right, yeah. Yeah. And, yeah, and she was in that one too.
1: Yeah, right, right. But I'm saying it so that so but she was in Jaws and Jaws 2, then nothing to do with Jaws 3, but let's face it, Jaws oh. 3 has little to nothing to do with Jaws 1 or 2 anyway. Oh. Um, and then to come back for this one. So it was kinda weird. Uh not to say weird, like in a bad way, but like you kinda like she went away and like you maybe didn't think about it, and then she shows up here, you're like, Oh. Oh, okay. Like she's here. And then she didn't make another movie after it. Um. So, um. But if I if I remember correctly, and I might be wrong, and John, you can you might know better than I. Um. Wasn't she really adamant about making this movie?
0: No. What no. it was is that her husband, you mentioned Sid. Uh, I I can't remember if it's Sid Sheinberg or Shelberg, but it's you okay. know Sid the husband. He was like one of the major studio heads at Universal, and he just uh. So he noticed that the first two Jaws movies had aired on TV and gotten really high ratings. And, uh, you know, even though Jaws 3 was critically panned, it still made money. And so Sid, you know, he just uh, felt like they needed a hit for the summer of 87. He had literally nothing up his sleeve. So he mentioned to to his wife, Lorraine, you know, I think we need to do another Jaws. And they knew that Roy Scheider wouldn't come back. And so um, you could say uh, maybe you could say that Lorraine Carey did this movie as a favor to her husband. Although, I mean, it is pretty flattering that you get to headline a Jaws sequel. Mm-hmm. even if it is a bad one, you know I mean? So I don't know how she felt about it. Yeah. And then I also know Joseph Sargent had some sort of a prior relationship with her, and Sargent really wanted to work with her too. So um, even if they could have gotten Roy Scheider back, it seemed like this movie was always really geared towards Lorraine Gary. And they did have one little scene written for Scheider if he would come back, and that was the very opening scene. Uh, in the pitch black waters of amity where the shark uh kills sean brody Mm -hmm. um they they had hoped that would be you know chief brody and that would be roy scheider because he had joked that he would only ever do another jaws if they killed him right off the bat in the first (laughs) scene and then so when they actually did that and wrote that scene he wanted a million dollars for it so they were like oh screw it we'll just make it his son (laughs)
1: Yeah. So the funny part is, John is I giggle at that. Nowadays people are like, A million dollars? What? That's nothing. Like the Rock makes, you yeah. know, a hundred million dollars. Uh-huh. It's like nineteen eighty seven money, folks. You gotta understand a million dollars, a lot of money on a budget of twenty three million. So yeah. uh I knew it was something and and it is it is Scheinberg is cause it's it's E I N, not Shellberg. Sorry, that's <laughs> it's on me. Um the but yeah, uh you know I, I, I remembered something about that. I remember reading in uh I, I probably was in Jaws Unmade uh, we were, you were talking about after jaws three, I remember something about someone wanted this made because there was money on the table. They felt, you know, kind of thing. So, um, but I didn't remember if it was, uh, uh, Lorraine Gary or her husband or whoever, but someone wanted it. Uh, because again, as we think about it and, and, uh, for those, um, obviously listeners who heard dad and I talk about uh, like the, we've been covering Friday the 13th movies. We started, my dad never had ever seen one ever before. I made him watch part one for the show. And then he's like, that's pretty good. So I made him watch part two. He's like, that's pretty good. So we watched, you know, part three and like, we're going to keep going through them. And eventually they're not going to be as good as some of them um, because the story kind of gets less and less, whether people like those movies or not, it's another story. Right. But as you watched, the Jaws, you know, one, and then obviously is the original kind of thing, makes you know it's one of the best movies ever made. And then two is actually really good in that it follows from the first one. It's still, you know, close enough in time where it's not like it's, you know, twenty years later, it's nothing crazy. But when it gets to Jaws three, you're like it's it's no it's so obvious it's like a cash grab because one, it's in three D. It has literally kind of like I, I say nothing. It really has almost nothing to do with the original <laughs> Jaws movies at all, comparatively to what, like, compared to the first, you know, to, you know part two, the sequel, you know, part two to part one. Um, but a lot of movies in that time were uh, starting to explore that 3D element. And uh, uh, was I think it was Coming At you was, I think, one of the first ones to come out. And I know when they shot uh, Friday the 13th Part 3, Dad and I talked about this when we covered that, the the you know shooting at you know, making sure that you hit your marks to the camera were like the most important things because you know um when you have to do 3D effects you have to make sure things work it's not like nowadays when they can do any movie in 3D if they want to uh back then it was very much about the way it was shot and making sure cameras were aligned and it was very very expensive and stuff so um to say that jaws the revenge uh you know whoever might have felt the money was on the table makes perfect sense because even though Jaws 3D is not, you know, on par with one or two, um, what winds up happening is you um, you start looking at, like, re- return on investment, you know? And that's a big thing. If if if, if, if I can make a movie for a million dollars and I can return $8 million on it, that's a great return. I mean, that's not a very, you know, obviously, a lot of money for a movie. But what I'm saying is, but if you invested that in return, like if I can put in one and get back eight, Or if I can put in whatever and get back, whatever. Those returns tend to drive the sequels. And a lot of times, the next sequel is already greenlit and going before you ever see how good the one that's currently out is based on returns of uh, when revenues start coming in. We see that all the time um, in the... I don't want to say the fifties I mean, In the fifties and sixties, you know, Roger, Corman, especially the sixties, Roger Corman would make a movie in a weekend for, you know, $40,000 on a ham sandwich, but he could return that money back every time. So they knew they had investment in the eighties. When you looked at like the Friday 13th and even the, um, nightmare on Elm streets and stuff like that, the return on investment was so big. They were like, we got to get the next one out. And they start making the next one before the other ones even finished. It's run in the theater. You don't even have a number yet. And even if those returns start to dwindle, those returns are still great enough where you're like, "Look, we spent fifteen million, we're making fifty. Make the next one. And if the next one costs us twenty and we make forty, we still made twenty on that one. Make the next one. You know what I'm saying? So, anyway, sorry, yeah. folks. Yeah, not to not to ramble about money and these <laughs> and stuff. Um, your second build here is uh, Lance Guest. Guest, excuse me, Lance Guest. Um. And again, he's known, uh, I mean, so some people might remember him as Jimmy in Halloween Two. Uh, he, he's, you know, obviously, uh, you know, six years younger than he is here. Uh, he made movies, you know, um, in the eighties and then about like 88 or so, he kind of looked like he's, he's kind of stepped away to do more, more TV stuff. He was on like 13 episodes of not land, nots landing, um, he had made episodes here and there just kind of popping up on shows like NYPD Blue and JAG. He made a few TV movies at some point. Um, and then he kind of got back a little into acting in 08 and 09. Um, he actually made Late Phases. I don't know. Have you ever seen Late Phases, John? The werewolf I, movie?
0: Oh, no. I've never even heard of that one.
1: Okay. <laughs> yeah, it's... it's uh, um, it's a very small little movie. Uh, um, it's about a blind Vietnam vet um, and is seeing eye dogs, a German Shepherd, and him. There's a werewolf killing people in, a, in a, like an, um, a senior community, and it's really interesting because like because he's blind, and you're like, okay, how's he gonna fight? Now, now he's gonna fight a werewolf. He can't see it. it it's just a really good werewolf movie. That has kind of a different spin on things, but a lot of people missed it because it wasn't it didn't play anywhere. Um, uh, and then uh, um, uh, we were sp- we were speaking about uh, uh, Lance Guest. Uh, he actually came back and is in uh, in Search of Tomorrow. And the reason why he's in there is because he's from the Last Starfighter, which is where most people probably remember him from. <laughs> if it's not this movie, Sand's beard though he didn't have the beard in Last Starfighter. He's much younger, so. <laughs> Um, I don't know. Have you seen any of the In Search of documentaries? Is that like Leonard Nimoy's In Search of? Or? Okay. So, I, t- so no. Uh, cause I, those I love. The In Search of the old. Yeah, sure, me too. The, Those, that, 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 that was the TV show. And if, I don't know if you remember the very first ones, the first two, which was In Search of, um, oh, what is it called? In Search of, uh, Alien, uh, visit or something like that, but it was Rod Serling did the first two and they were like TV movie kind of thing. They, and then that led to Leonard Nimoy's show. Um, these are the new ones. It, it they, Now they're out and they have nothing to do with the original. It's in search of darkness in search of darkness. Two, uh, mm-hmm. both came out in search of darkness. Three is we're waiting on right now. I'm one of the backers on that. So these are in search of darkness is a documentary. That's about mm, three and a half to four hours, about, 1980s horror movies but they pick certain movies from every year to talk about Mm, okay and when it was done people said hey you missed and then listed a thousand other movies they missed right so then in search of darkness 2 came out which again it's a kickstarter you back it you put your money in you hold nine right that's four hours long and then people said hey what if we did one about sci-fi movies and that's in search of tomorrow uh, which I just, I, as as a backer, I was able to see early. Um, it's not physically out yet. I, I didn't know if you had heard about any of those things, but Mm-mm. they are super impressive. They're long. They're four, four and a half hours long. And then they have one in search of a hero, which is about the action heroes of the 80s, the mm-hmm. Schwarzeneggers, and the, but like about like Rambo, about Dutch, about whatever. And like, they're they're exhaustive documentaries, which is really cool, but they go get... Some people like, I mean, you know, like they're talking horror. Is Tom Savini on this one? Of course he is. 1980s horror. Of course you get Tom Savini. And there's certain people obviously who have passed away. We can't speak to, but they go try to track down every single person they can. And the crazy part is they made one of them during the pandemic, you know? So, um, it's super hard to do that, but cause you had it, cause you couldn't meet face to face, but they do an exhaustive thing. And, um, it was kind of funny when, when you when you watch uh, Jaws: The Revenge, uh, he doesn't look like he did in Last Starfighter, so no. because um, he's obviously much old. He's old. He's like you know five six years older. He has a beard, whatever. Um, and now I know you are younger than I am, but I remember the Last Starfighter like being advertised hard, like pushed hard. Comic books, back of comic books, and on TV and stuff. It was. Like really pushed that and Flight of the Navigator, good gravy. Flight of the Navigator, I, I before I even saw that movie, like I literally was getting to the point where like I don't even I want to even see it. It was like just pushed <laughs> down your throat. So I, I know you're a little younger than I am, but like I don't, It's, I don't, you probably don't remember any of that stuff because you didn't didn't have you didn't read those comics when they came out kind of thing. But that's one of those things of uh, Flight of the Navigator, Flight of the Navigator later, and the last Starfighter was pushed. Um, and again, I'm assuming. Well, I shouldn't say. Uh, I I I don't know if you have you seen the last Starfighter. So I've seen it many many years ago when I was young. And right. same with
0: Flight of the Navigator. I'm probably more familiar with.
1: Yeah. So those movies, when you look at them now, at the time, cutting edge technology. Like they were the like they were they were the best effects and stuff like that. Quote unquote. I mean. It wasn't Star Wars because Star Wars had like the a the, uh, leg up on everybody, but that literally was, those were the kind of like tech movies. They pushed them out there and, and, I, and again, I'm probably going to catch some heat for this because I'm sure there's people who love both those movies. They, I don't know how well they hold up on viewings now that are probably a way to say that not to say they're bad, but I think now you kind of look at it and go, Oh yeah, this was made in the early eighties. You mm-hmm. know, kind of thing like you are like, oh yeah, I know. You know, kind of thing. It's kind of like watching, um, uh, what was Dad and I had a movie Dad and I had to watch, and I am trying to remember. And I am looking at it, going, oh yeah, this is nineteen seventy two. Like you know, kind of thing. Like <laughs> this is this is before Star Wars. Okay, we got this. You know, kind of thing. Like uh, it's kind of funny when you look at certain things sometimes. When you look at like spaceships and stuff like that, or the way things were done, you can tell what's pre Star Wars and what's post Star Wars, very very easily you know, kind of thing, because the way yeah. things are shot. And nowadays, let's be honest, I mean, every single movie's got, you know, more CG special effects in it than anyone could have ever imagined, and that's even, like, in romantic comedies and stuff like that, you know. So, but uh, your your other main name in this, well, there's two more names. I should say there's two more names. Uh, and One of them is Mario, Mario Van Peebles. Uh, Mario Van Peebles, okay, and this one was just kind of relatively new. Uh, he went on to be a much, you know, more, uh, you know, a bigger actor kind of thing and he made um you know several different movies he's actually uh directed movies um you know he i mean he he was he was uh uh you know he's he's all the way back into like 1971 where he plays a child he's he's uh young Sweetback slash the kid in sweetbacks uh, badass song um and then uh you know he's on to, into doing you know new jack city and you know um all those other movies that he wound up you know being in and uh you know and then going on to actually you know direct movies and stuff his dad's actually in this movie too he plays um what's his name i forgot his name in the movie uh but uh but his um let me find it sorry sorry folks i know it's great this is great uh, r- uh radio here all right i, I don't it's not, sorry in front of popping up in front of me but his dad's in here too he plays one of the um he's in a very very small role and of course the, the 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 name everyone knows from this movie um is michael caine yes that michael caine is in this movie um mm-hmm. and you might some of you might ask why john do you want to inf- uh let the listeners know about why michael caine might be here Oh gosh, I already!
0: I vaguely remember. I know they teased him about it at the Academy Awards one time, but didn't he like need to buy a house or something? And yeah, he did this movie? Yeah, just he to buy to pay, his house.
1: He he needed to pay something off. I, I yeah. <laughs> this was his house. I think this was his house. I'm trying to remember because he did the hand for so so. Think about this, Oliver Stone before he's Oliver Stone. Gets Michael Caine to be in the hand, which is actually a pretty good movie, much better than it has any business being. But no one knew who Oliver Stone was at the time. He goes, Michael Caine needed to pay for something. So this was a house. Yeah, he needed to pay. It was either a house. It was like a second house or a villa or something. Very much like how Betsy Palmer needed a new car, and she did Friday the 13th, the original. <laughs> Michael Caine, this is one of those was referred to as his paycheck movies um because he needed a paycheck he needed and it wasn't that he wasn't getting paid because he was making obviously other movies that on this time um but he needed the extra money um and then so wound up uh you know making this so i found it so melvin van melvin van peoples plays mr witherspoon in uh this movie i, I knew i'd find it here somewhere um uh, but yeah so those are the main people in here um obviously uh um the the um you're gonna say the little girl in this movie which i am blanking on her name right this sec uh she actually passed away soon after the this was her last film um you know kind of thing so what uh so some of this movie um you know i don't know how to, how to play this there's there's it's kind of like once you know that there's a little set there's like the, there's like a sadness when you're watching this saying, okay well this little girl passed away it's kind of like when you watch poltergeist now, you know what I'm saying knowing mm. you know kind of thing it's if it, you didn't know at the time because she was still alive but then you're like, oh this you know that poor little you know that, that little girl passed away or this you know kind of thing you know those after the fact um and uh it's just kind of it's one of those things that kind of doesn't say it, 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 it sticks with you kind of thing as you're thinking about it. Or you're watching the film, I should say, because you kind of know. Now we know looking back on something years later. Uh, last couple of things here. Um, your music was by Michael Small. Of course, they use uh, the Jaws theme, of course, you know, uh, John Williams, you know, theme that's used. Uh, and then so as we mentioned, the budget for this film is about 23 million. It took in just shy of 52 million. So that's not a bad uh, return on investment, even if it is the lowest grossing uh, of any of the Jaws sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, this movie features the tagline, this time it's personal, uh, which some people then took to, um, you know, I don't want to say riff on. This time it's, you know, about, you know, at this it's, it's like not this time it's not personal, but this time it's about money you know kind of thing or whatever like it was it became a joke this movie was critically panned across the board um the uh joseph Sargent took a lot of heat for this movie after it came out not not during the filming or whatever after it came out he could for a lot of critics gave him a lot of heat uh you know about this like you know couldn't you this should have been better like you know you're you're a better director than this you know this is still jaws like all those things that are kind of um whether they're fair or not, I don't know how much – I mean, I don't know how well this story was going to ever go over anyway comparatively to what they thought they might get. You know what I'm saying? So. Um, yeah.
0: I, I mean, I can look at this thing from the writer's perspective. They, they needed to just let the Brody family go and quit trying to make that, like, the, the three-line. But, I mean, I can see where they're like, okay, we don't want to film at Martha's Vineyard again because I think filming at Martha's Vineyard was always kind of a – nightmare compared to filming in florida or the bahamas or wherever so i think their their thought process what was like okay so we have to start in amity because we're going to have lorraine gary in it but then we really want to film most of it down in florida or bahamas wherever they shot it mm-hmm. but how do we get the shark down there you know i i mean if they would have just kept the movie in amity they could have just had another shark pop up and, and they could have been like well those sharks are just native to these waters and but you know, so they had to come up with this hackneyed excuse for the shark to follow Lorraine Gary to the Bahamas, and, you know, and I think that's where this movie really went wrong because um, the shark scenes by themselves, I think, are actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, I mean, there's some, I mean, the model that comes out of the water sometimes is maybe maybe a little bit behind for 1987 and they made it roar a couple of times, which was really <laughs> bad. But I mean, just by themselves though, the shark scenes are really pretty good I, in terms of their choreography and what it's doing and how it like comes out of the water and gets the lady off the banana boat, different stuff like that. I mean, that was good. It's just this insane idea that the shark is somehow following them. Yeah. You know?
1: And so that's one of the things too, that uh, um, uh, Sid Sheinberg Uh, obviously, you know, as the, let's be honest, he, he, he's the, he was, I'm looking here. He was, uh, at MCA universal was going through a different period. He was the CEO currently at the time. Uh, and he was the one who greenlit this and pushed this through knowing they made money off of the other ones. We also have to keep in mind around this time, they were also trying to promote the jaws ride at universal studios. Mm -hmm. And if you think about it, I don't know. I don't know if you've ever been on the jaws ride at universal before it no longer existed but it no, literally I never had the pleasure. Yeah. Okay. It, it is. So I can say this. And for those of you who are like, Oh, you're just going to talk about how, the old days. Yes. Because it used to be really good. Okay. Um, they would amp up certain rides at like night. I want to say, so if you went to universal studios in Florida, uh, or, I mean, and, and the one in LA is, is fine. And, and it's, but it's a very different universal universal studios in Los Angeles and universal in Florida, completely different like far more different than disneyland and disney world are um just because of the way they're built one's built into the side of a mountain one's built sprawling out you know kind of thing just all different things the jaws ride though when you would go on it um the first one of the day they would try to wake everybody up so they would make sure that the gun the 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 gunshots were just a little bit louder the explosions were just a little bit hotter but when they would do the last one, when it was getting to be kind of like eight o'clock at night before they would do the stunt spectacular on, or like nine o'clock and do the stunt spectacular, which is all pyro. And it was just the Miami Vice stunt spectacular they used to do on the lagoon, literally blowing up a city kind of thing at, you know, they would amp it up. And at one point you would go into the boathouse. Well, during the day you're in the boathouse, you can see, cause it's still enough ambient light. Well, now it's pitch black in the boathouse and what is that and and then like he and they shoot they they pretend to shoot the gun and the the explosions go off and the shark comes right up on the boat you're like holy cow this is more intense than the last two films Mm. um and what happened was when people went there they had never had anything like that like those kind of like you're in a boat but you're getting rocked and whatever it was super intense because remember at that time disney world did not have those kind of uh, a track. There was no MGM studios producing those kind of things uh, normally for Disney. Uh, so you went to universal and those things were amped up and like confrontation, which is the King Kong ride was amazing earthquake. I mean, it, it, again, you know, it's not real. Cause I, like, I know where to look to see where the, like the, the, tr- like how the tram is like not really off the track or whatever, but, is there real flames around you? Yes. Is there real water rushing at you? Yes. Like it was just that it, it, it was kind of safe rides, but there were still adrenaline in them. And the Jaws ride when it was working, which was kind of ironic. Isn't it funny that the Jaws ride ought to be closed because the shark wasn't working? Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> when it was up and running, it was one of the most popular rides. But the thing is, since it's a reset ride, you know, it's not like it's a live show. They don't have to run it so often you get you on a, on, on the boat goes out. All right. They give it so long so he can start doing things. Then they put the next boat in the water, but And it's like, and unlike like the jungle cruise, uh, which is very cutesy and it's like, they got the puns and the jokes. The guy would do the puns and jokes, but there are little kids on there who, when the shark would come up and onside the, the boat, they would just be absolutely terrified. And you're like, wow, they accomplished exactly what they were looking for. Now the, the, the other, and people have heard this before, my brother and I were old enough where it wasn't scary enough. I mean, we, we were hardened, you know, we're, we're nine and seven when this stuff opens, you know, or we're like, you know, 10 and eight, you know, we're hardened, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, movie veterans and we know all this tricks, Well, we're also the ones who, when you get on Kong confrontation and Kong's supposed to be grabbing the tram because it's based on Kong 76 and he's grabbing the Roosevelt Island tram. Um, You know, they, they tell you, they stay in your seat, whatever. There's nothing holding you in. So Luke um, knowing this, was, and he was real, real skinny. He slid himself out. And when they shake the can, he actually hangs out the back. And I hold on to Luke's pants or his shorts. I got him by the belt and everything. And he's hanging out the oh, back wow. screaming. And he's like, oh, my God. And they're screaming at us. They are screaming at us. What are you doing? Get back in the tram. Well, the people on the ride didn't know this. And they're like, whoa, it wasn't like this last time. Like, so we did that. And then we got off and got spoken to about never doing that ever again or we'll throw you out. And we said, what is uh-huh. this, Disney? Come <laughs> on, you know, kind of thing, um, because that's how we are. Uh, we did that, though. We, we used to have, when Luke and I were older, like in, like, uh, you know, maybe, like, freshman high school. like So we're, like, end of middle school, high school level kind of thing. We are plenty old enough now to, like, still have a good time but not be, like, you know, young adults yet, you know, kind of thing, yeah. right? We would do things like that. So on Jaws, looks like, oh, what's going on? He knowing the sharks coming. What's going on on this side? And the guy's like, get in the boat, and the and the, the Jaws comes right up at Luke's head, and people are, oh my god, they're screaming. I'm like, he's not gonna get himself killed, like that's gonna ruin the rest of the day, you know, kind of thing. But uh, we would do things like that. Jaws right included, um, or on Earthquake, you know, like Luke's like, wow, real water, you know, kind of thing. People are like what, and they like splash him in the head and stuff. So anyway, let's talk about Jaws the Revenge. Um, So let me just pull this. (laughs) Sorry. All righty. So, yeah. So again, so all these different um, kind of factors brought this in to get everything kind of rolling where we are. All right. Here we go. So um, on Amity Island, uh, Martin Brody. uh, uh, Okay, so Martin Brody is famous, obviously, as being the police chief and for his heroism. Um has passed away from a heart attack. Now, they don't show you this. they just mention it um later on in the movie uh, when they're arguing saying, well, you know, the shark you know, uh, you know Ellen's saying the shark killed your father. he he died of a heart attack. He died from waiting for it. It's like they had to find a way to give him a death. like like you didn't want to find out like what happened to him? Oh, he slipped on uh, some, you know, he slipped on some ice and broke his neck. like that's not a very good way to go out. <laughs> Like he, he was forever waiting for the shark to come back. And that, that, uh, you know, eventually led to his demise probably is, you know, probably the best outside of him getting eaten. Like you had mentioned before is probably the best way to have, uh, you know, police chief Brody leave the series. Mm-hmm. You know, it gives him a, a death that's, you know, believable. It's nothing in crazy. You couldn't see from before the amount of stress that's been on him, et cetera. Um, so Martin's widow, Ellen, okay. Still lives in Amity, um, and lives close to where her, uh, to her young uh, son, Sean and her fiance. Um, so I was going to throw this in there. I mean, and don't get me wrong. I do enjoy eating carrots, but I don't know how much I'm eating carrots out of a salad. Uh, while my mom's cooking a fish, but you know, it was the eighties things happened, I guess. Um, <laughs> although she accuses him of eating tomatoes and it clearly is not tomatoes.
0: Uh, huh
1: <laughs> So, cause she hasn't cut the tomato yet. So it's very hard to do that. Um, so and his uh, Sean's fiance, Tiffany, uh, Sean is a police deputy. Uh, you know, uh, obviously people all remember his dad and for those of you who remember Sean is the younger of the two sons. Uh, and he was, you know, obviously in the, in, um, uh, in the original jaws, he's the one on the beach screaming for Michael, you know, when he's in the water and later on, he's the kid in the when they're all getting stuck in jaws 2 he's the one who goes along with the the girls on their boat and you know so it's so uh keeping that idea there now i know uh having read your book that there was a lot of different stories they had thought about for jaws 2 right like the um oh i forgot the got the it's supposed oh, to be... yeah
0: isaac isaac asimov i think was one of them he he was going to do like a giant
1: squid he mm-hmm. that's what
0: he pitched and uh yeah they were gonna do the uss indianapolis yeah um, Quint's prequel that was one of the other ones
1: yeah so, well and, and some of the other stuff that was in some of those prequels was the idea of introducing all these kids not kids per se like we've got here but like main characters who were like evil like 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 uh not 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 like, not like the mayor but he was like whatever he was he was coming into for some industry and like his son is this guy it's like Reading some of those those treatments and stuff that they come up with, I'm like, why? How, how can you not? I mean, the giant squid, I get doing a prequel about the Indianapolis, I get some of these ideas. You're like, well, why would you think that's going to be the sequel to Jaws? Yeah, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it's it's very much, um, uh, and I, well, I mean, for those who listen to the Vault have heard me talk about this, uh, it's. Jason versus Freddy. The idea of of Jason Voorhees and Freddy Krueger fighting each other started. I don't know, sometime in the early '80s, and like they should fight each other. And like we didn't get that till like the 2000s, you know. But like at the end of the day, there was because that was one of the ones that's known for being stuck in limbo forever. And there's like dozens and dozens of different scripts. I mean, completely different scripts. Like the they are the warriors. They're the they're they're the they're Satan's henchmen. There's this. There's whatever. And it's like. I don't think anyone wanted anything more than just give me Jason Voorhees, give me Freddy Krueger, let him fight. Like no one at the end of jaws, the original is like, you know what? I think we should have a developer come in and make the story all about like land prices. Cause nobody likes something better than land price. Like that's not, yeah. you know, that's like, that's like saying, uh, what do you call it? That's like saying like, you know, what would be more interesting? Don't have a shark at all. Like, like Oh mm-hmm. God. You know, I guess it could be worse. It could have been like, you know, a land shark and yeah. knocking on someone's door going, just a dolphin, ma'am. If You know, everyone knows their SNL references. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's one of the things. So, you know, obviously, Sean uh, has been established as the younger son. We know him from the first two movies. Um, and uh, so when he's he's it's, it's a few days before Christmas um, and he's talking all about getting the tree out. And they're going to have all the old ornaments and, you know, the choir's trying to sing i mean that probably the most realistic part of that movie that the choir is atrocious um <laughs> you know he has to go out and get this piece of wood uh that uh, or it's like a log is stuck on a buoy and they can't have that there because the fishermen might hit it and okay like it seems innocuous enough like like this okay i mean If you don't know what's coming at this point, I don't know where you've been for the first, I don't know, like 30 years of whatever, you know, or not 30 years, but you know what I'm saying? Like it's called jaws we're on part four. If you don't know, there's a shark coming, um, because the other deputy of course is off seeing about the cow tipping that's occurring. Um, and who said we can't be topical in 1987 with cow tipping, um, so of course uh, he goes and he's gonna get the log off, and what happens? A great white appears and tears his arm off. So when this happened, um, you know the funny part is we're you know because it's eighty seven, so we're my brother and I are like nine and seven. We kind of knew about we we knew about special effects. We're still learning about how certain things were done and stuff like that. And my brother goes, "Man, they could have got the drummer from Def Leppard to do this role." And, I, and my mom goes, "Or they just stuck his arm inside his shirt." Luke goes. Yeah, I know they could do that too, but wouldn't that be really cool thought? <laughs> and I was like, oh boy, you know, kind of thing. But at the time when you're a little kid, you know, you just learn these kind of things and yeah. whatever, but it's, when you look at this, that's not that bad. I mean, it's, it's shot at night. So that's one of the things it's very dark. The water is dark. It's, it's supposed to be, I mean, it's supposed to be dark. It's not supposed to be broad daylight. Um, they kind of keep things kind of hidden, which I think is a good idea early on. Um, even though we know it's a shark and we know it's a great white, we don't need this thing jumping out of the water, you know, like, you know, like, uh, they show on discovery channel, they call them like air jaws where they show the sharks will like breach the water and go yeah. 20 feet. We don't need that stuff happening in Amity. You know, it makes more sense. That this is what's happening. So, uh, uh Sean screams for help. Uh, but the singing on the land drowns out his cries. The shark sinks the boat and drags him underwater to his death.
0: I think okay. it's a great scene because, like, uh, in the previous Jaws movies, I don't remember that many nighttime scene. I mean, so, like, the very first movie has that nighttime scene with the girl getting e- getting eaten, but it's kind of like a moonlit night. It's kind mm-hmm. of a bright night, but this is, like, a, a pitch-black night, and the water is pitch-black, and it's cold. You know, I mean, I mean, it sucks to get eaten by a shark, but, I mean, he's in cold water getting e- eaten by a shark, which didn't mean makes it even worse. So I yeah. thought it was a really effective
1: scene. Yeah. I'm saying, yeah, and, yeah, well, sorry, sorry, go on.
0: Oh, and I was just, one more thing I was going to add is that the fact that Sean goes out onto the water is also your first clue that this movie retcons Jaws 3, because Jaws 3, ne- Sean would never go in the water in Jaws 3, that was, like, his character thing. Yeah. So, like, that's that's your first clue that this is totally ignoring Jaws 3.
1: Yeah, and that's why when I said Jaws 3 has, like, nothing to do with anything else, here's a perfect example of it, you know, how to think... Because even though, uh, you know, it has, Shaw, has has him in, you know, his character is there, it's not really because we now know, like, because Jaws, this movie follows directly onto one and two. You know what I'm saying? So it's as yep. if three didn't exist at all. So, yeah, recounting it out. Um, and I just was going to say that, you know, I think it's smart to kind of, even though we know what the shark looks like, we don't need to have it, like, shoved right in our face in the first ten minutes. Mm-hmm. you know it kind of builds it's it, it this scene um if the rest of the movie was thought out and shot this way and I, and I don't mean to be like mean about like oh it's film part but like if they thought out some of the like stuff on land the well they thought the stuff on the water <laughs> it mm-hmm. might not be we wouldn't probably wouldn't have as uh you know kind of as bad a feeling sometimes about what's happening i think i think and that's we kind of see that coming up Kind of once Michael gets involved, which is in like a minute or two, you know, kind of in the mo- more further into the movie, you start getting into like, okay, like, do we need, like, I don't know if this, this story is going anywhere per se. Is this what it's, it's, I don't know. It's kind of hard to kind of wrap your mind around. It's like, this could have totally been done differently. And, and we'll, we'll, we we'll get there. We'll get there in a sec. We'll get there. Okay. So, uh, obviously the, uh, the, the older son, Michael, um, with his wife, Carla and their five-year-old daughter, Thea come to Anabey for the funeral. Michael is working as a Marine biologist in the Bahamas. Um, and on his arrival, um, Ellen demands that he stop his work, uh, in the ocean. And what, of course, the first thing he says, there's never been a great white in the Bahamas. It's too warm. They don't like it. Um, and just having received his first grant, he can't, and, uh, Then we have Thea with a lollipop, the size of her head (laughs) um, convincing Ellen to return with them to the Bahamas. Now, obviously uh, you know, we, he's got to come in for the funeral. Um, If you notice the women who are there to greet, uh, to greet Michael and Carla and Thea are the same, are some of the exact same women from the original. Um, And they purposely make sure that they, uh, their names are correct. And, whatever, it makes sense. They are some of the town women, uh, you know, from, you know, the original jaws and stuff like that. And uh, that's a little, a little nod and touch. That's what I'm saying. You have those kind of things. You're like, man, all these things make sense. You're kind of, you're, you're retconning three out. This makes sense. This is shot. Well, okay. He would come for the funeral. Like these things start fitting in. Um, you know, which is where I wonder where maybe the turn happens. Uh, where are we here? Uh, okay. So they fly down on the big plane, and then the pilot of their small plane, whose name is Hoagie, um, and that's Michael Caine, for those of you who haven't figured out where Michael Caine fits into this. He's not the shark. He's the, uh, <laughs> he's the well, I don't know what you want to call him. I would kind of maybe call him, uh, I wouldn't want to call him a scoundrel, the wrong movie for Michael Caine to be called a scoundrel in. Uh, but yeah, he's kind of like, what? He drinks a little, he gambles. He's you know like I mean? Han Solo. Yes, he's kind of like... yeah. Yes, he's kind of like Han Solo, exactly. Uh, oh boy, <laughs> I didn't think that's that's not what I would have come up with. That's good. That's good. Um, so he starts taking kind of an interest in Ellen when they're flying them back in, um, and then uh, wanting to take her mind off of the recent loss, obviously, and uh, obviously he's attracted to her. Um, he begin she begins spending time with him, um, and this is the scene where we have. Uh, at this point, so Ellen's there. She has the scene where she, it's her, it turned out to be a nightmare, where she's in the ocean and attacked by a shark, which I thought was effective because um, she obviously would be having nightmares. I I'm, couldn't imagine she doesn't have nightmares about being attacked by a shark. Uh, the she's very protective of Thea being anywhere near the water, um, especially on that. So they never they never paid that off, um, which I'm kind of glad they didn't because it was just children swinging on it, and that might be a little much for a Jaws sequel. Um, the rope swing where they're swinging out and back and out and back and out and back. Didn't it just kind of seem to you like, and here comes the shark and chomp, you know, kind (laughs) of thing. Um, yeah, it's funny. They don't do, they even, they don't even kill children in this one. I mean, no, they get close,
0: but there is a, there was a deleted scene. I I don't think it was filmed. Uh, I don't remember if it was filmed or if it just appears in the script and the novelization, but Mm -hmm. the, and this gets into a whole deleted subplot where the shark is, is like, uh, the weapon of a voodoo priest, maybe we can get into that later, but oh, okay. but there's a, there's a scene where Thea has a, a sand pail that the voodoo priest somehow bewitched, and it makes her, this sounds so wild, it makes her go outside at night and go walking towards the water, and the shark's waiting for her in the water, and it's not a dream, it's like actually happening, and then one of the parents, or, or maybe grandma, sees her about to walk into the water and grabs her. So that was actually in the script, though,
1: huh. as odd as that sounds. And you know what's crazy is there's some odd stuff going to happen in this script, and nothing sounds as odd as that. That's crazy. Yeah. I That would be a very different movie. I'm going to guarantee yeah. you that. A voodoo – oh, my God. Okay. So uh, where were they here? Oh, yeah. So where um, oh, am I here? Okay. So, okay. So. We that's when so Hogie Hoagie starts spending time with her. That's when we get the scene of them at the beach, uh where she's digging the sand castle with uh with uh Thea. Um the Carla is a welder and an artist. Um and as a child, I wasn't a hundred percent sure what she was making. As an adult, I'm a hundred percent sure I don't know what she was making. Yeah. Um I'm just wondering. Uh but I mean it's big. Whatever it is, right? You know, kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, kind of thing. So she's working on that. Michael's got his stuff. And that's when we we meet Jake, who is Mario Van Peebles, um, who who works with Michael. He's his colleague. Uh, So where are we? So uh, Michael introduces his mother to his colleague, Jake, and his wife, Louisa. And they wind up spending Christmas Day and New Year's Eve and stuff together. So while this is happening, uh, as they're going through there because they're out on you know they're on the water christmas eve doing this stuff and this is i think why this movie also i'm not saying it's it's not strange for everyone but considering this movie starts off in amity which has very very little snow on the ground but there's still some snow on the ground and now it's christmas eve and they're literally all in t-shirt and shorts in the like in the bahamas or yeah whether it's Florida or not, whatever, you know, you know what I'm saying? I think uh-huh. that might be what kind of throws people off a little bit because it feels like summer. Yeah. But it's supposed to be, you know, December 24th. So uh, be it as it may, uh, we wind up getting um, in here, you know, you get some more of, of Hoagie and Ellen, you know, they go on a date and he takes her sightseeing. Michael's very jealous uh, or just concerned because he doesn't know what Hoagie does. The implication that Hoagie is a drug runner, i like, okay, sure, you know, kind of thing. Like, that's what I, my first guess might have been. He flies the plane in and out, and he has no rules, can do whatever he wants. Sounds like a drug runner to me, you know, kind of thing. Um, if, you know, uh, it, none of that has ever paid off, though. Obviously, obviously, he's not a drug runner. He turns out to be a good guy. It just seems kind of weird there. Um, yeah. But then uh, Ellen starts feeling more comfortable with him, and she and she's winds up talking to him more and more about what's going on. And he's like, you know, you got to let it go. And what, and it, it's, I don't know. Like I watched, I mean, I, cause I watched it again last night, uh, after kind of we I kind of watched it and then we had our delay and then we had to watch, I watched it again. And I'm like, man, it's still the stone. I mean, I get what they're doing cause they have to have something happening here, but it's like, you know, they, he's not giving her any sage advice, you know, yeah. it's, it's just let it go. Oh, thanks. I didn't understand. I'm good to go. We're in frozen. It's awesome. You know, kind of thing. <laughs> so, uh, where are we here? Um, so, uh, a few days later, uh, Mike, uh, Jake, and the crew uh, encounter a shark, um, which has followed the fil- the family here from Amity. Okay. So, there are no great white sharks in the Bahamas. That's a true statement. It's too warm. They don't like it. That's actually true. You know, get some real science in there. So what happens is Mario of Peebles is down in the diver, the thing, and they're tagging all the, uh, the, the, um, were those conks or whatever they're, they're tagging. And now the shark is literally right next to him. Like, you know, like, Oh, I didn't see you there. You know, kind of thing. Like he literally on top of him. And I'm like, I get it. You may not have the best peripheral vision in there, but I don't know, maybe you might feel a 25 foot shark coming up next to you. I would I've never been next to a 25 foot shark, but <laughs> You can feel someone coming next to you in the swimming pool. You might feel a shark coming up next to you <laughs> in the ocean. Uh, but be as it may, um, they actually, they escaped that without anyone getting killed. Uh, where are we here? Um, Jake is eager to research the shark because great, great sharks don't ever, I don't know, the Bahamas. Michael asks him not to mention the shark to his family, which of course he tries to drop into the conversation because Mario Peoples be like that. Um uh-huh. So during the day, Ellen can keep her mind off the shark, but at night she's having uh, nightmares. Okay, um, she's able to feel when the shark is about to attack one of her loved ones. Okay, so this is the other thing. She has like shark ESP, like you know kind of thing. Like she has a sense when there's when Michael's in danger and the shark's coming after. Her. Now I understand that some people have said that that stuff can happen. They sense when their child's in danger or like let's say their twin gets hurt or whatever. I'm not saying this stuff doesn't happen, but it has never happened up to this point before. Yeah. So, this is like a new skill she got in the last few years. Uh huh.
0: Yeah. (laughs) It's just a new element to the franchise in general because it's like it got supernatural out of nowhere.
1: Yeah. And with what you just told us before about the voodoo priest and all that stuff, it got really supernatural. <laughs> yeah,
0: that was like a whole deleted subplot that's totally in the novel and might have been. I think that was in the early screenplays. That was the real explanation for the shark. It wasn't necessarily that it uh, was following that family. The idea was that Michael had made enemies with a voodoo priest in the Bahamas for some political reason, and the priest to get revenge on Michael somehow possesses the shark and it chases everybody down and that was the explanation in the novel which you can still track down today and supposedly in the early screenplays so that's the whole reason for the shark being so uh intuitive
1: so the thing is that 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 subplot 100 percent sounds like a movie on the sci-fi channel yeah right Whereas this subplot, even though the shark follows them somehow, they fly down. The shark somehow swims. <laughs> How, I mean, it takes him forever to swim there kind of thing. Well, that's why he didn't show up for, until Christmas because they flew down. They were there a few days. He's like, I'm swimming as fast as I can. Yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> he hops on a boat. Let's go, buddy. Come on, you know. Uh, the cheesecakes are, I know, that's, that's a different reference. Um, but, uh, yeah, so, but I'm saying is, but if you like, uh, have you ever seen Santa Jaws? no okay so santa jaws and i know some listeners have seen this is is not a sci-fi original but it should be and it's on sci-fi a lot uh this it's in short this kid draws this sh- uh shark that has a santa claus hat and it has a bell and he and it somehow it becomes real and it's killing people and it's uh, it's, it's 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 worse than it sounds but it's like that. It's like, wait, what? Like, this Like this is a story you pitched and someone said yes? Huh. Like, Sharknado I get. I understand, Like, the, and I don't know if you've ever seen all the Sharknados, um, but the original Sharknado I get. Is it good? No, it's not. Is it better than the other ones? Oh, yeah, it's definitely better than the ones that come after when they start trying to make them funny. But, like, I understand that concept in theory mm-hmm. when they came up with it. I mean, it's not like Sharktopus where it changes size depending on the room it's in, which is impossible. But uh I get Sharknado. When people make fun of that movie all the time like, "Oh, it's horrible. Like, yeah. Yeah, Ian Ziering cutting his way out of things with the chainsaw and the shark and all. That. I get all that. But I'm saying this, in theory, a tornado picking up uh you know wildlife out of the ocean and depositing it somewhere, that has happened. You know, kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So in theory, if you had a big rush of water coming up into the into California, And the tornado had brought sharks into it. Not saying the sharks are going to live in the tornado. That's a little much. Could there be sharks swimming through things? Yes, that they probably wouldn't be in. A hundred percent. That can happen. That's where the logic ends, though. But like, you know, so I'm just saying is like, you know, you've made enemies of me and now I have the voodoo shark coming at you kind of thing. I feel like there's a movie called Voodoo Shark. I'm probably... Yeah. Not too far off of that. I, there's one, the new one we saw the other, we didn't watch it yet. It's called Velocipastor. I've a, heard of it. Yeah. We we watched the trailer, and the trailer is just a snip of the movie and has nothing to do with him turning into a, a velociraptor. It's, he thinks he's had sex with this girl, and he's a priest, and she's like, I don't know, she's supposed to be like a young, I, th- I think she's supposed to be like 19. I mean, she looks like she's in her 30s, but she's supposed to be like 19. And then he's, he's like, well, this can never happen again. She's like, what, you mean turn into a dinosaur? And that's where the, the snip, I'm like, Haley goes, that didn't tell us anything. I'm like, you're (laughs) not telling me anything. I don't know. Yeah. So those kind of things are like, what? So I think that would fit into that category. Anyway, where are we here? So we are, okay. Jake uh, decides to attach a device to the shark that can track it, uh, track it through its heartbeat. They chum the water, of course, because why would you not want to chum the water? Jake stabs the tracking pole into the shark's side, and they now have the ability to track the shark. Um, But then they lose it because the shark now somehow, which is right next to them, hits it hits its like hits the NAS like it's in it's in Fast and the Furious and takes off. <laughs> so and it would this wouldn't be an episode of Bot's, Bugs and Babe if I didn't mention Fast and the Furious at some point. Uh, the next day, the shark. Okay, so they're out working the next day, and they try to spend some time working with that, and sometimes looking for the shark. The shark ambushes Michael and it truly is an ambush. He's like waiting on him Uh, and chases Michael through a sunken ship. Um, So this is when you know it has to be a movie. There's no way in the world a shark is going to give that much of its energy and attention after one. I mean, that's a lot it's going through. You know what I'm saying? Like, so it's the shark has very human qualities. It's looking to get him. You know, besides bursting through the side, breaking the door down, like the shark's looking for food. It's not usually looking for anything but food, which that's why I think, you know, that uh, obviously we're, 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 we're We have to believe that it's happening because this is what they filmed, but that, that voodoo kind of idea that the sharks possessed makes a lot of sense here. The same way that the shark, the shark would be coming up on the food. It's going to jump and get the food. It's not going to disappear behind the boat and circle back like sharks don't do that they will circle but sharks not going to like you know unless something drove it off unless something you know tipped it off that there's something wrong here it doesn't look at it being a trap i mean i've literally watched dozens and dozens of shows where they just are like well we just chum the water here put a thing oh look here's a shark if they're going to show up along with every other fish possible so <laughs> um
0: now, the irony of that scene, though, with the sunken ship is mm-hmm. it was actually written for Jaws 3, and the idea was that uh, at SeaWorld, they had an a artificial sunken Spanish galleon, and they they were going to, in the ending of the movie, they were going to swim into that for shelter, and the shark, like, followed them inside of it, so they, I think they just really liked that idea and decided to use it in this
1: movie. Yeah. Well, it's not a bad idea If you're talking about a shark that's, I don't know, maybe somewhat normal size. Yeah. But the shark is, like, bursting through doors and stuff. It's like, Mm. good God there, buddy, you know, kind of thing. So uh, Michael's able to escape. um, And while that's going on, uh, you now have uh, Carla's being presenting her new art sculpture. And the mayor is giving the worst speech of all time. Like, I don't think anyone knows what he's even saying. Like, you try to follow what he's saying along, and he's like, God, can you stop talking? Which I think most of the crowd was saying, too. Um, But then um, uh, Thea wants to go on the banana boat with her friend Margaret and her mother. So she goes on the banana boat, uh, the inflatable banana boat, not the uh, the stuff you put on your skin in the summertime, folks, Uh, while they talk about Carla's new art sculpture. That's when the shark attacks the boat. Okay, so... Now, I mean, obviously everyone knows what a shark looks like, but Ellen sees the shark before everybody else, Uh-huh. right? And she just takes off and she's screaming Now that she doesn't get further into the water is amazing because she runs before everyone else. Um, and that's when the, you now have the, uh, you have the shark attack the boat. and probably to me, I think that's the best kill in the entire movie. Yeah, me too. You know, he. Because she comes right up and is shot well, and you're thinking, oh, man, it's going to get Thea Now, that little girl, you know, you know, who, God rest her soul, right, kind of thing, she looks terrified. I'm not 100% sure how they got that reaction, <laughs> but the other people on that boat looked terrified also. Yeah. So part of me is wondering if they had a camera mounted to something, and then they said, okay, let's get on the boat, and they just sho- shocked them with something real quick yeah. to get that reaction. Much like in Monster Squad, when Dracula is holding Phoebe and she was told to close her eyes. She would never seen him in his full Dracula thing. And they said, okay, open your eyes. And he, he hisses at her with his fangs out. And you see the actress literally is terrified. She grabs his hand. I mean, she actually grabs his hand and curl Like, she's terrified. And they felt so bad doing it. But it's it's amazing. Like, there's no way you get that great a reaction from somebody who's just like... Oh, oh I'm scared like especially from a little, like a little kid they'll give you the honest reaction they're gonna have there that scene appears to again I'm not saying it is but it would appear to me that that they definitely scared them with something and then shot that scene. Mm-hmm. <laughs> shot it yeah. when it was scared um and of course the the shark takes takes uh Margaret's mom right off chomping on her Carla is in the water screaming for thea um I love how the banana boat is deflating, and the speedboat that's pulling them—or yeah, because you could call it speedboat. Um, it's it's dragging them behind, but they're all desperately hanging on. I think if they had kind of, because they could have made it so like, oh, you just got her, and the boat's not deflating. Like it would be, it's it's not as terrifying then. Uh huh. You know, because here you have Margaret. Uh, you know, Faya and some adult holding boat onto both of them. So they don't die from either getting dropped off the boat or the shark, you know? So that might be to me, the one of the more, it's definitely the best kill. It's one of the more effective scenes in the whole movie. Cause it really works well. Um, even if the shark itself, see, they do a good job of kind of not lingering on the shark there because in one of the scenes, like with the, uh, when Michael and, um, when, when, when they're kind of baiting the shark to come out of the water the shark is raised up out of the water for too long mm-hmm, like yeah. sharks can't float like out of the water <laughs> so but anyway but yeah like I said I, this is, i think is the most one of the most effective scenes in the whole movie um this is where now everyone finds out that there's a shark here and that my you know and and uh this is when Ellen decides to grab Jake's boat and is now going to, she's going to go hunt down the shark. I don't know what she thinks she's going to do with the shark at this point, but she's going to go hunt the shark down because it's trying to kill her family. So, of course, Michael comes home. Uh, they berate him for not telling him about the shark in the first place. He goes, where's my mother? She took the boat. They go get on this little dinghy that they're going to now, it's like, it's like a rowboat with an outboard motor on it, and they're going to go chase down. Their their boat, their full-size yeah. boat. Okay. Um, of course, they run into Hogan, who is uh, having a hard time fishing because he can't catch anything, um, and he goes and gets the plane. Okay. So there's going to be some stuff, folks, that's going to happen in the next few sentences that you might not believe if you've never seen this movie. Um, but as John will attest, everything I'm going to tell you is 100% true. They get in the plane, and they're going to go find the boat, right? So they go and they're searching and it makes sense. I mean, this is, that's logic right there. hundred percent, of course, let's get in the plane, go look, that's much quicker than the outboard motor. It's much more than anything else. Right. Um, where are we here? So, uh, during the search, Hoagie explains to, uh, Michael that Ellen's, uh, uh, belief that the shark killed Sean is hunting her family. Um, and when, uh, and, uh, when they find her, so now they find the boat. And they see the shark coming up. And what happens? The shark comes up and they don't show it actually biting the side of the boat. But it must because all of a sudden the side of the boats half gone. Yeah. So I don't know if that scene was filmed and cut or if it just was implied that that's what the shark was doing. I'm not 100% sure there. It to me feels like a scene like we don't have the money for this. Let's just shoot the shark out of the water and they'll figure it out. Uh-huh. The plane that they're flying in is not a water, like landing plane. I don't know how to say that. How do you a hydro, hydroplane? Yeah, I don't
0: either. Yeah, I agree though. I mean, like I, I agree that they could land it in the water, but I don't see how they would have taken off again. Yeah. In that
1: particular plane. That's what I'm saying. I just didn't understand yeah. what the what the play was there. You know, like yeah. if you had said to me, it's like the plane in the beginning of Raiders of Lost Ark you know, where it has the pontoons on it. It's like, oh a hundred percent land that thing. Let's get the lady yeah. get out of there. I don't know what the play is here.
0: Yeah. Unless,
1: neither. yeah. Unless the play was, we're going to fly the plane into the shark. <laughs> uh, so we're not going around it. We're going through it anyway. Uh, so uh, are so hoagie hoagie lands the plane on the water and tells Mike and Jake to get out and swim for the boat as the shark attacks the plane. Cause it's drawn to its electromagnetic field. That makes sense. It would be, it would be, the shark would be drawn to something like that in the water. Again, like we just, both of us just said, how is he taken off? How, how is this the play? How is, I mean, unless they were out of fuel, which they weren't. So, um, at this point, we all think Hoagie's dead and you might be thinking to yourself going, well, you know, that'd be a way to go. Michael Caine goes out of hero. No, Michael Caine somehow gives them the slip <laughs> i feel like in in shawn of the dead what happened oh i just gave him the slip you just yeah. gave him the slip and they're all at the back door right you what not think so um for those you haven't seen Shaun of the Dead, i didn't give anything away there but let's face it go see the movie because you're missing out anyway um he he now climbs up the side of the boat uh there's something interesting about when he gets out of the water john do you know what that happens to be
0: oh i've forgotten i mean i i i have a pretty clear memory of that movie but i can't remember
1: so he is bone dry. Oh, right. Yeah. Which everyone noticed. <laughs> not in the movie, because his hair is kind of messed up and looks like they sprayed it down with a little spritz of water. But he would be soaked because Michael yeah. and Jake are soaked.
0: Maybe <laughs> Kane refused to do that. Maybe he just
1: refused. I'm betting that's what it was or something along those lines. Or he's like, I'm not getting in the water. I'm just going to climb up because he climbs <laughs> up because you never see him swimming. Yeah. Right but he's bone dry and he's wearing a white shirt. So it's dead giveaway. Like if you were wearing a darker color or something, maybe, okay, maybe it's hard to tell with it. It's a hundred percent obvious. He's dry. Oh, and everyone noticed it when, when they did it, but they were like, well, we we can't reshoot it. So let's just go with it. Um, which is true. Uh, escapes and Jake and Mike, Make a very quick device that emits, uh, emits an electrical impulse. Okay, so Jake moves into the, onto the front of the boat as the shark, the shark starts lunging for him. He, Michael clearly says, you can't go out there without a rope. And he goes out there without a rope. I'm like, there, like, he's grabbing a rope. Just put the rope around you. And it just you know, OSHA stuff, you know what I'm saying? I'm just, you know, mm-hmm. breaking all kinds of rules there. Like you know, someone wants to shake hands with danger. That's what that is. Uh, and of course, the shark jumps up, and uh, Michael is is on there screaming for you know like Jake, no, you know, and Jake, you know, he falls. And it's not Megalon too bad where he like falls completely or jumps the uh, the ski the um, um this not the ski do the, the 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 whatever you know what I'm talking about the thing you why can't I the jet ski. He don't think jumps, he jumps oh, yeah. the jet ski into the mouth of the thing. Yeah. But he falls into the jaws into the, the mouth. The the um they get the uh the thing inside of it, so it's gonna admit the electro electromagnetic thing, and, and he gets chomped on some. But we don't actually see him die, we're to assume he dies. And I'll talk about the differences, what happens there. So Michael now revs that up, and now it far forces the shark to jump up out of the water and roar. Yeah. So, sharks can't roar um, and I don't know do you know where the, you know where the roar was taken from? was not it like King Kong or something or, or actually, no, land land uh lands that
0: Arctic movie where they see the dinosaurs what so is it? land
1: unknown it's the exact okay. same okay. it's it was originally taken from a Tom and Jerry cartoon <laughs> and it was reused in uh the land unknown because Universal owned the rights to it <laughs> it's huh. it's it's in their archive right so yeah. which is fine. Don't get me wrong, you know, it's fine, I mean, it's, you know, whatever, but he then shocks it again, it jumps up again and, sh- and is roaring. And of course, now they're taking on more water, they're going to So Ellen gets on the wheel and she steers the boat directly into the shark.
0: <laughs>
1: and yeah. this is going to be we're gonna, so I got I got to <laughs> because again, like I said, I remember seeing this in 1987. Right? Um, and our age difference might put this at a place where you had to see this, obviously when you were, you know, obviously you probably were younger than I was when I saw it, but you had definitely saw it later than I did. I 100% and my, and and my brother will back this up and my brother has a horrible memory sometimes, but this, we all remember because you remember how cool it was. She harpoons the shark with the, the mast of the ship. And the ship breaks in half and it drops down into the water with the half the boat sticking into it. 100% remember it clear as day. We said, wow, I didn't see that coming. Right. Both Luke and I remember that. Then we watched it again. And the time, and a different time. I don't know if it was when we saw it again, might've been on like AMC or something like that. And they had the explosion. And we both said, what the, that's not right. That's what, what's this, what's this explosion? so my question to you is do you remember the first time you saw this movie what ending it had
0: yeah so specifically the history i understand is uh yeah what you saw was the original ending so i mean you must have seen it in theaters like right away um but they decided that ending wasn't ambitious enough and that's where they decided they'd reshoot it to have the shark like explode for some reason once the boat impacts with it um but yeah, so the original ending was just her ramming the boat into the shark, and that's how it ended. And I, you know, I have to say the poster they created for Jaws: The Revenge, of just uh, Ellen Brody on the boat on the stormy sea, like alone facing down the shark, like that's pretty cool. Mm-hmm. I feel like it sets up a lot of promises and potentials that aren't really fulfilled because, you know, ultimately, it's kind of like she doesn't really do that much in the real movie. You know, it's sunny outside; it's not stormy. The guys are all out there to help her. I I like the idea that, you know, this old lady, basically, old woman, is going to go out at sea and kill the shark by herself. To me, that sounded really interesting instead of her having all this help, you know. So I I like the promise that the poster gives, and the poster doesn't really live up, I think, to what we see.
1: Yeah. So I, I can honestly say this. We remember that, and then we saw the other one. And then I watched the brand-new Blu-ray that they have that came out uh 2021, I think. They had the whole set of them all come out, like it was mm-hmm. uh, whatever it was. They had a whole set of them. That has both endings on it. Yeah. The movie, the one I watched, they impale that shark, and that shark sinks with the impaled. That's the, To me, that's the ending of this movie. That's the better ending.
0: Yeah, I agree.
1: I did not remember until last night when I watched the digital version, which I have through Amazon, that features the explosion. How bad that looks Mm -hmm. like. I know people think, well, Jay, you watch bad movies all the time. You watch movies. Yes, yes, I do. But it looks wrong. It doesn't even, it looks like someone, erase the end of your movie and put a new end of the movie on you know what i'm saying like yeah oh man is it bad and let's forget the fact that what exploded the yeah, flashlight I, <laughs> yeah because that's something
0: like i i have one of those you know false memories as a kid because i only saw the explosion ending first and i mm-hmm. i kept thinking that uh mario van peebles dropped an explosive in that shark's mouth or something and that's why it blew up, but that's not what happens, right? I don't think there's any explosives dropped in its mouth that it just magically explodes somehow. Yeah.
1: All it is, is is it's a receiver and he's oh, building okay. it. He's a receiver so they can send a signal to it because Michael's sending the shock signal, but all it is is just shocking the shark. Now, if somehow that was trying to, if they electrocuted the shark, part two, um, I could see that being from that because it's putting a shark, but it's not shocking enough. There's not enough voltage. I mean, isn't that the whole problem in in Jaws 2? They can't kill it because they can't just, you know, shoot it with a gun or burn it. Like, I mean, that's where the, the, for Luco appreciate, that's where pyro sharks come from. (laughs) Um, Like, it's the pyro sharks. The shark catches on fire in Jaws 2, right? And and then it kills them on the boat, but burns them. And it's like...
0: you know what's crazy though? Like, as much as we make fun of the shark exploding in this movie, you know, really the oxygen tank thing in the first movie shouldn't work. And Peter Benchley, like, told Spielberg, he's like, that's not going to work. That's not how you blow up a shark. That's not, that wouldn't happen. And Spielberg was just like, yeah, but they've stuck with us through this whole movie and it's all happening so fast, they'll just go with it. So, I mean, I guess Jaws the Revenge. It seems worse, but really it's it's just as silly in an odd way
1: but if it, but at least there was an oxygen tank there, yeah that you could say, okay he shot it I mean Mythbusters has proven that that wouldn't happen at all you know, yeah you you can't blow up an oxygen the way you blow up an oxygen tank is with c4 you know with an actual explosive yeah. right so what I'm saying is but at least in your mind you say, okay there's oxygen in there it's under pressure he shoots it yeah like your mind could fill that in. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we're supposed to believe because they never said it. All they had to do was have a line in there saying, what are you going to do with? We'll shock them. And I got an explosive in it. Yeah, that's it. That's all you need. You need one dubbed line that no one sees anyone say that makes it, but otherwise it blows up. And, and I, and uh, the shark that's sinking at the end of the blow up ending is taken from the ninth, from the original. It's that yeah. same shot. But, like, maybe when it was on VHS, you couldn't tell those differences, but when you digitally clean it up, it looks completely different because it's now not the same type of water. It's not the same ship. It's not the same, like, (laughs) Uh, and uh, if you notice, if you look closely, you can see all the the lines from the barrels and the stuff that uh, Quint puts into the shark. They're all still on them at that ending, too. Mm. oh yeah that's they're all there yeah because obviously they're not they couldn't digitally erase it but the yeah. ending where it bleeds out where it takes the harpoon harpooning and goes down with it it's not there so um yeah that's what this movie is known for kind of having that oh not just that sorry so now the boat's gone right the boat sinks so michael swims over there's michael kane, there you know there's hoagie there's ellen and jake survives now <laughs> Jake was not supposed to survive, Mm-mm. but along with the harpooning, they said, well, what do you mean Jake doesn't survive? We like that guy. So they refilmed it with <laughs> him surviving. Yeah. But mind you, he, and what, is, what does he say to him? He goes, you okay? Yeah, I'm fine. He just got <laughs> bitten in half by a yeah. shark. Uh-huh. Mm. Look, I know I've been through a bunch of stuff in my life, you know, kind of thing. Never bitten in half by a shark. Yeah. I don't know if I'd be okay to swim it in from there. <laughs>
0: to see. Uh-huh
1: uh but um and then of course uh we get the uh what do you call it At the end very uh you get you we know, call it? you uh they get back in the plane and obviously hoagie's gonna take uh ellen you know back to the mainland to fly put her on a plane for her to go back to amity uh or whatever else other adventures they might get into those those crazy scamps you know kind yeah. of saying <laughs> who knows what they'll do yeah. um the uh there was there was actually a rumor that was persisting for years that the reshooting of reshooting of the end sequence prevented Michael Caine from accepting his Academy Award for Hannah and her sisters in person. It has never been verified. Most people say it's 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 bunk, but it's one of those things. Even as a kid, I would heard this, hmm. and this is before the internet. I know some of you were thinking, before the internet, what do you mean? Like, no, there wasn't even dial-up back then, guys. Like, you wanted yeah. to find something, you went either looked it up in an encyclopedia or you asked somebody. Um, but, yeah, I even remember that being around. Uh, you know, this movie got just lambasted, just absolutely, uh, you know, torn apart by everybody, every critic. There, there was a lot of, I don't know, a lot of movies just were like uh i mean, again movies there are movies that get just ripped to shreds this one i don't think there was a whole lot of positive period ever put upon it it opened uh in you know 1600 theaters and it actually finished in third place uh that weekend um it finished behind a rescreening of snow white and the seven dwarfs and robocop I and mean, let's face it robocop's arguably one of the best movies ever made kind of thing by way of what its influences are and whatever and Luke and I talked about this year, but uh you know, it just it's it's just hard to believe that uh that this movie actually was able again and again it had a lot of promise. The trailer looks like it could be good. Like you know we, that it made fifty one, you know, almost fifty two million dollars worldwide. Uh I think a lot of that was just built off of the name of Jaws, you know, kind of thing. Um, and be that as it may, uh, the, when, when this movie is shown on, uh, AMC, uh, they put a number of deleted and extended scenes in that were removed, um, including a spoken narration prior to the opening credits explaining some of the circumstances due to the fate, um, as well as more dialogue between Ellen and Hoagie, um, as well as Jake and Michael, um, and they show a slightly different angle of, of, uh, the, the difference between showing Jake's death, like, so they're trying to show like how different ways shown. Like I said, this was out on DVD, uh, on a very, very horrible release way back in the day. Um, but then they've since now put out, uh, the, the, the Blu-ray came out in 2016, but they since then have put out the, like a definitive high def Blu-ray set. And, you buy Jaws by itself, but then you buy two, three, two, three, two, three in Revenge in a box, or not a box, but in one case, and it's about the best they've ever looked. Uh, you know, the the issue becomes, and I, I don't want everyone to kind of—I hate harping on it, but it's true. Um, it was a lot of it, it took a lot of like abuse from from not just like the mainstream critics and stuff. Uh, the Razzie Awards, uh, you know, the, the Golden Raspberry Awards, really made sure that they, uh, you know, stuck it to this movie too, yeah. um, which is fine. Um, kind of funny. Uh, it, the uh, in, you, I don't know if you remember Back to the Future Two. Which oh yeah, is,
0: yeah, with Jaws nineteen or whatever. Yeah.
1: This time it's really, really personal, right? Kind of thing, yeah. like, <laughs> like it takes a shot at them, you know, kind of thing. You know, um, but. You know. And then there was even the idea that uh um you know, they I don't know, it's all kinds of stuff that was like part of the parody, you know, by kinda of like that there's you know, there's nineteen sequels to this and there's this. It's just it's kind of funny that like Jaws itself, the the, the original Jaws, you know, which kind of revolution I mean, Jaws is one of the most influential movies, if you think about it. It's like Star Wars. It's like whatever. It's like you can name any other number of really influential films. Um, and and the way we know a movie is influential or important is that there's uh, Italian ripoffs of it, which we have, of course know. And there's all different kinds of ripoffs of Jaws. Uh, the problem is, and I think this is what some people say, is that when you start looking at past Jaws, I think mean, Jaws 2 is fine. But if you look at 3 and Revenge, it's not that much better than some of the Italian or Spanish or Argentinian or whatever knockoffs that were made, you know? Mm-hmm. So, and the irony is it also is that the movie that everyone, th- when it first came out, said was a jaws ripoff. Although Steven Spielberg said it wasn't and loved it. Piranha, which is a Joe Dante movie. Um, I think does a lot of the stuff that the sequels wish they could do,
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know? Yeah. So, um, so real quick, just want to mention that the, you, you had mentioned the, uh, the, uh, the novelization by, uh, Hank's, uh, Searles. Um, he also had adapted Jaws 2. Um, that came out July 1st, 87, uh, right before the movie came out. Uh, this is actually one I don't have. I have a lot of you know, movie novelizations. I don't actually have this one. Um, but it does talk, like you said here, uh, you know, a bunch of the different, uh, come on shark don't commit murder tell me you don't believe in that voodoo kind of thing like it's all you know kind of thing some of the stuff you were just were talking about before
0: uh-huh.
1: um seeing a, a shark there's uh, one of them like where a wind there's a windsurfer attacked there's yeah a relationship between Ellen Brody and a gangster who somehow yeah. <laughs> de at sea I don't know I'll put it this way it sounds like an interesting read if nothing yeah. else just for the hodpodge of it you know what i'm saying so but
0: well another crazy tidbit for like jaws fanatics is the sharks have a family lineage just like the brodies so first shark unofficially is named bruce second shark is unofficially named bruce set and was a female shark pregnant by bruce this is all in the novelizations as well mm-hmm. so so again the the shark in jaws 2 was a pregnant female shark uh, with with like, and then she has a baby uh, before she dies in Jaws two in the novel, right? And this baby shark is named Vengeance, and that's the shark in Jaws the Revenge. So he the the shark in Jaws the Revenge is supposed to be the son of the sharks from the first two movies, and that's like canon in terms of the novels. I I don't know if the studio heads look at it that way.
1: Well, I mean. The thing is this is it had to come from somewhere, you know, yeah. someone had to put it in there kind of thing. And yeah. Um so that means it might've been in like some shooting scripts at some point. You know? well,
0: who knows? Yeah.
1: No, know, I'm saying it's like, there might've been some of that in yeah. there and oh, it might've yeah. been excised out because if it's in the novel, unless uh, because remember Peter Benchley doesn't mention any of that in the original jaw. So oh no, you no, know, somewhere along the line, someone said this gotta be in there. So, but anything that ends up in that see, well, I shouldn't say that. Most of the times, anything that ends up in the novelization is in some form of a shooting script somewhere. Mm-hmm. There's not a lot of times when the the, uh, the 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 person writing the novelization goes completely rogue and's like, you know what, we're making this a gangster movie. Like it doesn't, yeah. you know. So it has to be taken from somewhere, even if that something has been excised. It's um um well, I don't know if you've ever read it. The 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 novelization of Gladiator has two scenes two, there, there some of the scenes are extended by way of what's in the in the novelization but there are two scenes that were filmed that were cut from the movie because they just didn't add anything to the flow of the film and it kind of slowed it down but in the novelization you're like oh this seems like it might be interesting and then <laughs> when you watch the deleted scenes you're like oh no it wouldn't have been yeah. you know kind of thing like so like that's you can tell that was that was that was written off a shooting script prior to the cuts being made Very rarely are you going to have a novelization where you're going to, like, you know, change things. I mean, some of the dialogue might be different, you know, a little bit here, a little bit there. But you're not adding in a voodoo priest bringing in a shark. You're not adding in a gangster who's having a relationship with Ellen Brody who then gets eaten off a boat. Like, those are not things that the guy's like, look, I got nothing. I I only got about 50 pages. I got to pad this to 195, you know, kind of thing. Like, you're not, you know, so... I mean, you could pat it out the way, I guess, Tolkien did, where he talks about the grass blowing for six pages, but, yeah, oh, you know. gosh, yeah. So, <laughs> uh, but, yeah. So, uh, folks, you know, uh, do you remember Jaws the Revenge? Um, some of us remember it as Jaws for the Revenge, which is a lot of times what they hype it as. I have a hard time not calling it Jaws 4, uh, because I'm of, an, I'm of an age where, when it came out, a lot of people, even the reviews in the paper, Jaws 4, whatever, doesn't say Jaws the Revenge um do you remember it do you did you see it in the theaters do you remember the two different endings uh you know i'd love to hear from you about it if you do give me it right right in and i'll pass it along to john of course um you know talk about that stuff uh for those of you who have not read uh john's book uh jaws unmade a lot of the stuff that um that i know about obviously this series the the real in-depth insider stuff i got from his book it's a great read if you my my dad loved it too by the way I gave it to dad to read oh, after I you. finished and he was like there's a lot of interesting stuff because he's like how <laughs> much can we really talk about Jaws right uh-huh because Kong Unmade you know even though there's not as many King Kong movies let's be honest there's a lot of King Kong movies that were King Kong inspired a lot of movies right yeah with the Jaws he's like oh so interesting he was like there's a lot of stuff here about even just the four movies we have you know so. Um, but yeah, folks, if you haven't checked that, if you haven't uh, had a chance, to check that out, please do. Um, I got mine through Amazon, just jaws Unmade made right there. I look up, or look up John LeMay is the author and, uh, you know, find it right there. Uh, so, um, you know, like I said, we're, we're kind of, this is getting you know, near the end of the summer. We're getting to the fall, you know, kind of things we're getting into the kind of thing. And, uh, even though we're talking about, you know jaws and again it's in august it's still pretty warm i guess it's you know okay although we do know this could be a christmas movie technically by our standards around here you know the word christmas was mentioned it's a christmas movie um you know uh if, if if you know if listeners have something about this that they you know want to throw out there we'd love to hear it so john uh i want to give you a chance to you know let people know about any upcoming projects or where they can find you and stuff and stuff like that Yeah, well, since you mentioned
0: Kong Unmade right now, brand new, you know, Kong Unmade I first published back in like March of 2019, you know, it's three and a half years later now, uh, we did finally put out the second edition, and like, when I say second edition, it's like, it's huge. Um, In fact, there was so many new chapters that I added to it, that as I was formatting the book for the, the regular black-and-white paperback, it was too big, so I had to split it into two volumes because it was, like, about 700 pages. Whoa. And, like, 700 pages when you print, like, the, the printer doesn't care about the dimensions of the book. It's, like, if you're over, like, so many pages, like, you really have to hike the price up, so I felt like it was just more economical and easier on my layout planner, too, um, to just split it into two volumes. So the first volume covers, like the first Kong film up until like 1960 and then the second volume is all the the remake from the 70s up until Godzilla vs Kong but it's like it's a pretty huge overhaul Kyle Bird edited it and fact checked it and so it's a totally different book so if you like the first Kong Unmade and you get this one it's like again a lot of new stuff but that's out right now Kong Unmade volumes one and two uh, with the subtitle of the lost films of skull island revisited so that's out now
1: awesome and and for those of you I mean on this show people know we we've covered King Kong the original we cut did a King Kong watch along uh, we uh, we did 76 you and I did King Kong lives dad and I did a whole episode just on feedback about 76 right wow. so King Kong has actually taken up more spots on this show than any other It's just just you know three three different movies and a feedback episode and whatever, you know, and anything else that's ever been on here. Um, so of course folks, you know, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those things, as I always say, uh, you know, if you enjoy this stuff, you're going to enjoy these, but bo- I mean, this book is, there's information, there's, it's, there's um, anecdotes that I'd have no, I'd never heard of. I mean, when I'm learning, I'm learning stuff here and I it's not like people are like, Oh, you're learning that's boring. It's never boring. It's a page. You're turning the page. You're like, okay, I want to know what's happening here. Like I want to see, you know uh saint thing, kanga made was like that jaws unmade was like that the even the um some of the, about the, the the you know the unmade movies or even your um like oh, the uh the the, the 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 there's the two of them there's the law, the movie milestones and the oh yeah little magazine yeah yeah so though both every time those come out there's and those are you know not as long cuz they're you know what they're, oh, well, they're usually what quarterly or so roughly yeah they're they're fanzines so yeah. they're
0: like anywhere from 60 to 120 pages so yeah. like if it's a big one it's 120 but that's about the max like the most recent one is devoted to the amicus edgar rice burroughs trilogy that's the latest one
1: sure exactly and and those are very interesting reads too so for those of you who are like okay well you know i read this i read that and check those out as well well worth your time i have all of them everyone, my, my, my problem is always and in, in, you know, as well as Tuesday, John is finding enough hours in a day to do everything you want to do. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So yeah. I enjoy, this is what I enjoy doing. I enjoy reading these things. Um, you know, and sometimes life gets in the way, you know, you have to slow you down. And, but when I get time to read, this is what I enjoy reading. And, uh, I'm really happy that obviously, um, the first Kong the first Kong made was without standing. And I'm, and my dad loved that too, by the way, I got him his, he's like, this is great, you know, kind of thing. And that's somebody who knows like everything about King Kong, you know what I'm saying? But he doesn't know about like the other, like, not to say the others, but like anything that, so he knows about Kong 33. That is like his wheelhouse, you know? And he's like, oh, that's interesting. And then, the, but it was this stuff that wasn't about 33. That he was like, oh, I didn't know this. Okay, that's interesting. Oh, that had made a really cool sequel. or That would have been really interesting. You know what I'm saying? It's the stuff beyond. So for those who were like, well, I know all about King Kong, you know, 1933 or 1976 or whatever. There's a lot of other stuff in there. It's not just one. It's not just focusing on one film. It's focusing on these films. So, all right. Awesome. So, John, I want to thank you very much for coming on today. Uh, You know, it's always a pleasure to have you on. And, uh, you know, uh, have you come record with us. Uh, I can honestly say, uh, you know, that um, when you're here, we definitely are able to talk about, uh, you know, because it's not just, you know, because you often bring insight into certain movies that, because you've done deeper digging than I have, more research. You have that, because from writing the books about them, often are bringing things in that I wouldn't even have had, you know, even access to sometimes, you Uh know? Yeah. So, so. Um, and I, I, I can honestly say, I know, um, you know, the listeners appreciate you coming on too, and, and being part of this. And, uh, you know, I always thank you for spending time with it because you know, it's always, it's not like it is, you know, like you and I just go, you know, get together and hang out. We're so far apart, you know, miles wise it's scheduling and all that stuff. And, and it, all that stuff that seems super easy sometimes, you know, you know, as well as I do, when you get to be an adult, sometimes it's hard to even, you know, like you know did i even eat today like what's going yeah. on you get you know you get so busy with life so yeah well uh, let's find another
0: another crazy movie to discuss next <laughs> season or whenever you're ready cuz i'm always happy to come on here it's
1: fun oh yeah man we will we'll definitely we'll we'll start brainstorming like we always do we come up with a list and we start getting our movies together so Ladies and gentlemen, uh, please go check out, uh, you know, John's books uh, on, on, I mean, I get mine right through Amazon. Um, if you like to, on the Kindle, they uh, some of them, uh, well, I should say, I have some of them on the Kindle because I was reading them on the Kindle and I have a lot of them in paperback. Uh, well worth your time. Check them out. They're great reads. Enjoy them. Uh, you know, as, as always, John is always a welcome guest um, and we try to mix, you know, we try to keep things mixed up you know mix them up and do whatever i mean obviously this is an anniversary year for uh for you know jaws uh, the revenge the revenge um and we want to make sure we're trying to keep you know keep things interesting so john thank you. once again thank you very much for coming uh ladies and gentlemen as we say around here keep those cards and letters coming and keep watching the skies this is tokyo once a city of six million people and search the hashtag The Art of Horror Collective as well as the new hashtag Bots, Bugs, Babes Podcast. I'm the only one using them. I'm also on Twitter at Jason Jackinetti, and you can visit my webpage at www.theartofhorrorcollective.wordpress.com. All movies, characters, stories, music, etc. are properties of their respective holders. This is a fan work, and any use of any property is purely for review discussion, entertainment. So don't sue me. I ain't got anything anyway. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. There is no tomorrow. Will
0: you stop?